Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And uh, we're going over a little, I I entitled this sermon series, uh, You're Not the Boss of Me, (laughs) because we hate authority, don't we? We hate authority. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to be left alone. We don't want anyone telling us what we can or can do. We don't, you know, in the mil- if you're in the military, you understand the chain of command. If you're a fireman or a policeman or whatever, you understand the chain of command. There's somebody over you that can tell you what to do. But if you're not in any of that stuff, if you're like me, I just don't like people telling me what to do. I'm selfish. I'm a baby. I'm like a, you know, I I want my own way all the time. And so this is where we are in uh, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to see if we can make it all the way to verse 45. We're not going to read all that, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. Uh, Jesus has just had what we call the triumphal entry. This is the last week of his life, and he's just come in. On, on, on not a donkey, but a, a little, a, a, like an adolescent donkey, a foal. Very humble. He comes in on this donkey. He's on a, on a borrowed robe that they laid across, and people are chanting Hosanna. Now, the reason we didn't go over that section of Scripture was because that's Easter time, and we'll cover it then. Okay, so, uh, so we kind of skip past that. Don't, 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 don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And he shows up. At the temple. So here comes this. They're they're saying he's going to be our king. Hosanna. He's it. This is great. And instead of going to the Roman fort, instead of going to to have a, a summit on economics, instead of talking about social issues, he goes to the temple. That's where Jesus ends up. So he's the king. He's going to start his kingdom. And so you'd think, man, he'd just come in, guns blazing, wipe out the Romans, all this. He goes to the temple. It's very important that we see that. And we, it's also important that we know what type of year, what time of year this is. It's the Passover. And Jerusalem is about three to five times more crowded than it usually is. So he shows up at the temple and it's just filled with people. People traveling from all over. As a matter of fact, there's an edict every Passover that Jerusalem, because you have to have Passover in Jerusalem, it in, that it would... It would include Bethany and Bethpage because there's just so many people, okay? So he shows up at the temple, which probably looks something like this, okay? And this outer court here is called the court of Gentiles. See, it kind of goes around there and, and, and people would be about, you know, like that, like they'd be in this scale, they'd be like that big, just so you know, okay? So he's in the court, which doesn't help you at all, but don't you worry about it, that's how big they are. So there's the court of Gentiles, and then, and anyone's allowed to be in there, Gentiles, anybody, okay? And then, but you can't, if you're a Gentile, you cannot go into this. This is the court of women, that's don't get offended, okay? That's just the court of women. And uh, the Gentiles weren't allowed in there, but the Israelites were, and then they could go into their place, which women weren't allowed. As a matter of fact, they had a, there's a door that's made of Corinthian bronze that takes 20 men to close, okay? So if the men wanted to be in there and they didn't want the women, you know, nagging at them, then they just go in there. Okay, I'm just playing, I'm playing, come on, stop. Okay, so uh, court of Israelites, and then in there, after that is the court of priests. So the Israelites would take their sacrifice, the lamb or dove or whatever, and they'd take it into the court of Israelites, they'd put it through uh, an opening there, and then they could watch it being sacrificed. Okay, and you go, man, that's kind of barbaric. Well, anytime there's an atonement for sin, it's barbaric. 
because sin is separation from God. So the court of priests is where the altar is and everything. And then this building here is called the holy place. And inside the holy place is the holy of holies. Okay? So I just kind of give you an idea of, of what's going on here. That, all that would be filled with people when Jesus shows up. Okay? So Jesus shows up and uh, he gets a little upset. <laughs> Here's what it says. It says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Now, what's that all about? Well, this court of Gentiles, the, the high priest there is, is named Annas. And during this time, they would have a thing called the Annas Bazaar. And he would, he would rent out booths for, for merchants to sit. And what these merchants would sell were things that have, have to do with the Passover. So they'd be selling animals, they'd be exchanging money. If you came in from a foreign uh, country and you're coming in here and you had the wrong currency, you'd exchange it. And he was making a fortune on this. And what would happen is you'd be poor and you'd have your lamb and that was going to be the atonement for your sin and you got your best lamb and you inspected it and it's without blemish as it says in the Old Testament and you bring it in and Annas had his cronies go, oh, that's, that's not going to be good enough because you had to have it inspected. Your offering had to be inspected by a priest. And so they had this little racket going where they'd say, that's not good enough, so go over there and buy your lamb. And uh, there's a, I wrote his name down. There's a, a Jewish, a famous Jewish historian, uh, Edersheim. Edersheim says they would pay 10 times the amount for that lamb than, the one, than if you just went and bought a normal lamb. Doves would be about 20 cents in our currency. If you were poor, you could sacrifice a dove. Two to three dollars there. It's like Starbucks, kind of. Just, you know. Okay. 20 cent cup of coffee, $2. I'm guilty of it myself. So Jesus shows up in this bazaar of Annas. And he's ticked. Imagine if you went on vacation with your family. You guys had just a killer vacation. We, you know, we went to Yosemite. It was the first time our family's taken a vacation by themselves. We're always with another family or with, uh, with uh, our own family, or, but, um, like uncles and stuff. But this was the first time we went by ourselves. We came back and we were just stoked. It was a great, great time. Imagine you have this time, this, this exciting time, right? For Jesus, it was the triumphal entry. The, the disciples are like, this is it. This is awesome. And imagine if you come back from vacation and you look and one of your windows is broken and you, your door is kind of open and you're like, oh man, you, you hear people in there, a bunch of people. But it's not like they're robbing the place, they're like having a party. And you're like, what in the world? And you, you open the door and it's all strangers. Let's just say they're like high schoolers. Oh, okay? So they're high schoolers, Right? And they just got attitudes, and they're, they, 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 they're, they're eating all your food. They're putting stuff on the carpet. They got one guy's gnawing on a rib bone that you were just waiting. You were going to cook up the ribs for dinner when you got back from vacation. And he's putting barbecue sauce all over the place, and some man sleeping in your daughter's bed. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? That's exactly what happened when Jesus went to his house. The temple is the house of the Lord. And this is, where, this is where relationship is supposed to take place. This is where intimacy, intimacy is supposed to happen. This is where it's, you're supposed to go and be able to, to give your sacrifice to God for your sin. You're supposed to give your offerings to God. You're supposed to spend time in prayer. And Jesus shows up and the place is in shambles. And he gets really mad. 
as you would be if you came home from vacation and found a bunch of people, you know, wearing your clothes and your favorite slippers and all that kind of stuff. Jesus shows up and they're in his house. So he jacks them up. Now, how does he do that? How does one man drive out all those people? Authority. Authority. He had the authority. And for some reason, I mean, if you look at the kingdom of the world, they could easily overpower him. There's a thousand people there. They could have stopped him. But he was operating on a different kingdom, a kingdom that he had full authority. And for some reason, there wasn't anything he, they could do about it. This was the second time he's, he's cleansed the temple. So he goes in, and what does he say? He says in verse uh, 12, he says, or 13, It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You're desecrating it. This is supposed to be intimacy with God. This is supposed to be relationship. And he drives them out. I mean, you can just imagine the debris and just, you know, crates being tipped over. He overturns their tables, chains just kind of like, you know, spilling out all over the temple floor. And people trying to pick it up, shove it in their pockets. But he's driving them out. He was also driving out people who would use that court as a thoroughfare. Instead of walking all the way around, they just walk right through. Like it wasn't a temple, it was just a shortcut. It says in Mark that he, he got rid of those people too. And you think, man, what's up with Jesus? Well, what we're going to see is this duality of God almost. This righteous judge who cares very deeply about your sin. He hates it. And this humble Savior that does something about it. Jesus came in in humility on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. This humble king. And then he has righteous indignation and he goes off. He's mad. Right? And you go, well, man, what is this all about? Well, we keep going. You get to verse 14. Verse 14 is the best verse of the story. Because see, God has this side that he is a righteous king. He can have no unholiness. And yet there's another part of him, this compassionate. Do you know the first word to describe God in the Bible is compassion? And so when you get to verse 14, you go, oh man, what happens? He drives all these people out. There's debris everywhere. I mean, he's kicking them. And the first time he did it, he did it with a whip. He made a cord and started whipping people. I don't know what he did in this one. It doesn't say. But I'll bet they remembered that whip, right? You know, all the, you know yeah, when, you, when, you, when you discipline your kids, all you, you, know, you get to a point where all you got to do is threaten them because you followed through so many times. They know you're going to follow through. Everyone knew Jesus was going to follow through. So out they go. There's debris everywhere, little pigeons squawking, walk, walking around, and everyone else is gone except verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple. He didn't drive them out. He didn't drive the, the lame out. He didn't drive the blind. They're just, they can't go anywhere, right? If you're blind, you, you know, all, you just hear this ruckus. You, you hear this cleansing of the temple. The beggars are sitting there probably freaking out. Like, what's going to happen? And they all get cleared out. And they listen. And they hear Jesus' voice. Jesus begins healing them. See, this is the other side of God. 
He, he's, he's God, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name, okay? Thy kingdom come, this righteous, but he's also Abba, Father, our Daddy. We're going to get somewhere with all this, trust me. It's, it's just imperative that we see uh, where this is going. God, Jesus says, you, you messed up my temple. See, and, and if you go to Kings chapter, I think it's, yes, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 8. Okay? Solomon builds this temple. Jesus is very concerned about the temple. And so Solomon builds the temple, and in, in, in 1 Kings 8, verse 27, he's praying about this temple. And he says, but will God really dwell on earth? Heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built? He's going, I got nothing for you, God. What I have is just compared to you. It's just like, it's like a kid coming to you with, you know, look what I made. And you're like, whoa, neat. What is that, a car? No, it's a house. Yes, a house. So I can see it now, right? So, so he says, uh, uh, the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer of your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place which you said my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication your servant and, uh, and of your people, Israel, when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. That's, that's what the temple was supposed to be. That's why David says in Psalm 27, he says this one thing i ask of the lord this is what i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life why to gaze upon the beauty of the lord and to seek him in his temple this is the heart of god and jesus comes to his house a house that's supposed to be a place of refuge a place that's supposed to be a place of intimacy of offering and of sacrifice and of new beginnings and of hope and they've turned it into an extortion, a place of extortion. Psalm 84, 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. It's supposed to be a place of praise. And they turned it into a place of profit. That's the balance of worship. We worship a God who, who wants so desperately to be intimate with us. And when he is, cannot stand us not moving forward in sanctification is a big word we use, but in just becoming more and more holy. That's our God. That's the God we serve. So he comes in. He, for those who are involved in sin, desolation. For those who need healing, compassion. It's an amazing example. So he does this. And it says, let me go back to Matthew. Uh, so cool. the Pharisees and chief priests were indignant. <laughs> Can you imagine? Nobody, you are not the boss of me. When we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted with, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a dear brother or sister come up to you and go, hey, dude, can I talk to you for a second? You know, the way you're living isn't, what? How dare you? You can't talk to me like that. I know the way you're living. How do you like that, right? Nobody likes it. The Pharisees especially didn't like it. So Jesus leaves takes off. I mean, you can just, you know, see the chief priest mumbling, you know, picking everything up and going, oh, well, I'm going to kill that Jesus, right? So he leaves and he sees a fig tree off in the distance. 
He's on his way to Bethany. And he sees it, and it's full of leaves. Now, fig trees get fruit first, leaves second. Okay, that's how, that's how a fig tree operates. It gets its fruit first. So if it has leaves, it has to have fruit. And Jesus comes up to it, because he's hungry, it says, and he looks, and there's no fruit. And he curses it. He says, may you never bear fruit again. Done. Again, we go back to this righteous, authoritative, he's no pansy, right? He rides in on a donkey, very humble, beats everybody up, heals people, oh, very nice, curses a tree, right? There's this, there's this thing going on. You say, well, what, what is this all about? Well, he was upset because one of the things we find out about God all through Scripture is that things are designed for a purpose, for his purpose, And a lot of times, that terminology that's used throughout Scripture is fruit. It needs to bear fruit. That is a productive life. And what was happening in Israel is they had all this foliage, all this greenery of religion, and no fruit. And that doesn't make Jesus very happy. So he kills the fig tree, right? Let me get into this section here. You say, now why, why are you talking about this? Because what he says... To, the, to his disciples is, because they're just freaked out. Now, if you read Mark and you read Matthew, it seems like there's two different accounts. Matthew makes it sound like it happened right then. Mark says they went to Bethany on, the, on their way back, they saw the fig tree. There's no problem with it, okay? What Matthew's trying to do, we've talked about the whole time, he's not interested in chronological stuff. He's interested in pointing to Jesus the king. He's interested in his authority, so he'll say it, it immediately withered, but it, it, it did, but they just noticed it on the way back, okay? So he just combines the two days into one. It's not a big deal. Mark, Mark spreads it out a little bit, okay? So what are we saying here? I want to read a verse to you that's going to put this all into perspective for us. It's out of 1 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 6. And it starts out like this. It says, do you, do you not know that... In other words, don't you get it, is essentially what he's saying. Do you understand what I'm about to say next? You need to really pay attention to. This is what that means, okay? He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's God's house. Because we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. God doesn't dwell in, in houses like that. We don't set those up. Now, we, have, we call this the house of God, and that's all fine. But the kingdom of God is inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on. And it says, your body, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so the question I was asking myself this week is, when Jesus comes off of being heralded as Hosanna in the highest, as he comes in and he steps off his donkey and he looks into the temple of my life, what does he find? Does he find places that need to be overturned? Does he say, this has got to go. And we say, oh, but, oh, but Lord, you know, I, I love you so much and you know me, this is the way I am, I can't, nothing I can do about it, whatever. That works fine for the lame. 
but for the mature who are holding on to things, who are using religion as just kind of another way to cope through life, through all this kind of stuff, he wants it broken. He wants it devastated. He wants it gone. Why? Because he wants his temple to be a house of prayer, a house of praise, a house of worship, a house that bears fruit. He wants fruitful lives. And when, he, when it doesn't happen, it's no good for him. He doesn't sit and go, oh man, you know what? Well, I know you've been working on this for such a long time. Now when we come to him poor in spirit, like the lame did, like the blind, and we say, Lord, please do something, ah, then what does Jesus say? Well, he tells his disciples, oh, you haven't seen anything. If you want to get rid of sin in your life, if you want to see God move, if you really want to see it, I tell you the truth, it's verse 21. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now again, what's the context of this? The context is in bearing fruit. It's not ask whatever you want, you know, you get the Lamborghini or what have you. So isn't a health and wealth scripture verse here. He's talking about bearing fruit. And he says, if you want a fruitful life, what I just did in the temple, this fig tree, that ain't, I'll, I'll rip out everything. You're going to see great kingdom power in your life if you want to bear fruit. Because a lot of times we say, man, I just don't know if I can. My past, my past is just weighing upon me. It's a mountain. It's immovable. And the Lord says, oh, no, that's nothing. We can take care of that. My dad, when he came to Christ, he used to smoke three packs a day, Paul Malls, unfiltered, and uh, just jacking himself up. Uh, was an alcoholic, just would, first thing in the morning on his way into Wall Street, he'd start drinking and would drink through lunch and, you know, couldn't keep a job and all this kind of stuff and had a mouth of a sailor, uh, well, a bad sailor. I mean, I guess not all sailors actually cuss, so stereotype there. Uh, uh, the mouth of a bad person, okay? And, uh, and the Lord took it in one day. Three packs a day, not, never touched a cigarette since. Alcohol, ick, <laughs> right? Every single morning, wake up, first thing, get on the train, right in the train station, go to the little newsstand, get whatever he was drinking, done, one day, bam, done, no more. Cussing, okay, that took a little longer, all right? But, but that, those mountains, those things that you'd say, man, the Lord could never use it. He's a pastor now, right? You say, well, how, you know, man, his, his life had no fruit to tons of fruit. And so we ask ourselves, as a temple of God, do, are there tables that need to be overturned? Or am I lame in a place where God needs to come and bring healing? Because see, a lot of times, it's not sin that's holding us back. It's, a, it's sorrow. It's, it's something that we just, I'm not good enough. The Lord wants to heal that. He either wants to overturn the tables of sin or he wants to heal you. Why? Because he wants you to bear fruit. He cannot stand Things that don't bear fruit when they're designed to bear fruit. If you go to my friend Gary's house, um, I won't mention his last name because he goes to church here, um, but uh, if you go to my friend Gary's house, you'll go into his backyard and there's a beautiful uh, 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 grapevine. Beautiful. Big wide leaves, very green. I mean, you walk and you're just like, wow, and you, it provides a lot of shade. So you're, 
this, it's, aw- it's awesome. It is an awesome uh, vine. <laughs> I don't know, bush. I, guess, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, vine, okay? So it provides lots of shade and everything. But when you go to that, and you look up and you say, oh man, because you're expecting big grape, big leaves, green, healthy. Now, I can't wait to eat one of these grapes. These little tiny grapes, little tiny, very small. See, grapevines aren't designed, the, the purpose of a grapevine is not to bring you comfort and shade. It's to bring you grapes, okay? And so there's no grape. Now, what happened? Why did that happen? How did that happen? There was a point in time when that vine should have been pruned that Gary found out later that he didn't know at the time, okay? So all the energy from that plant went to the leaves and went to growing and all this, and none of the energy went to bearing fruit. And some of our lives are that way. We are pouring all of our energy in leaves, what we look like, what it is, what, all the outside stuff, and none of our energy in fruit because we're afraid of getting pruned because <laughs> it hurts to get pruned, Right? But God wants that. So he says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only what you do, uh, what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. You can see great kingdom power. You can see mountains removed as you uh, work through those things, through God's grace. But we have to come, what? From, we go way back to Matthew chapter 5. Poor in spirit. We have to come lame. We have to come blind. We don't just say, oh, here's my awesome uh, uh, shade tree. Can you, can you tag some fruit on that? It doesn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in chapter 15 of John. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. He prunes it. How does he do that? Well, sometimes he takes things away. And he says, you're going to have to deal with this being gone. Sometimes he adds conflict. Sometimes it doesn't, it, there's, you've all been in areas of your life where you've been pruned. Maybe you had a business. Maybe you were CEO or something and that got taken away. Maybe you were doing great in some industry that now is in the tank. And we say, oh, I just want my leaves back. And the Lord's going, no, no, you want fruit. That's what you want. He goes on to say in in, uh, verse 16, he says this, you did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you to what? Go and bear fruit. Not go and look good. Not go and stop cussing and have your whole life, you know, oh, everything looks great, but inside you're still just as bitter and fearful as you were before. No, a life of fruit. A life where the light of Jesus shines. A temple that is used for uh, the kingdom. Don't you know your body is a temple? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. That's what God's looking for. So what happens? So these, the uh, Pharisees come and uh, now they come after him. After that, he, he leaves. He curses the tree, goes to Bethany, and then he comes back to the temple, which I love. Because if it were, okay, so let's say I got some courage and I kind of wrecked shop somewhere and I did this whole righteous indignation thing. I wouldn't be really that excited about going back the next day after they've had a chance to regroup. But Jesus just walks right in and what does he start doing? The scriptures say he's teaching and preaching. He's just hanging like nothing happened. Like, yeah, we cleaned the temple. What's the big deal? Now let's go. Let's get into relationship. Come on. I would have been all been out of shape. I would have been talking about that for weeks. 
with the disciples, like, oh, and then did you see what I did? I like, kicked that thing over and it broke up and the pigeons went crazy. Oh, it was awesome. He's just like, yeah, no, that's nothing. I do this stuff all the time. I do kingdom stuff all the time. It's no big deal. That's what he did with the lame people. He cleaned everything up, knocked everybody out. Okay, let's get to the healing again. It didn't continue. He just came right in, started teaching and preaching. And so it says right here, it's really important to see this. He says, Jesus entered the temple courts while he was teaching. The chief uh, priests and elders of the people came to him. Now that chief priests and elders is a pretty big group of people. It's about, well, it's, well there's 156 priests that work in the temple at any given time. So you can imagine the chief priests and the elders, but let's not exaggerate. Let's just say it's 75 people. Okay, we'll cut it in half. 75 people come up to Jesus and they say what? What authority do you accomplish these things by? You are not the boss of me. Why are you doing this? And Jesus, in killer Jesus fashion, goes, Oh, I can tell you're very interested. And you, know, you, and you really want to follow me. That's fantastic. Well, why don't I do this? I'll ask you a question, and then if you answer it, then, and he, and then I'll answer yours. And they're like, Oh, good. We love this game. And so uh, Jesus says... Uh, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it by God or was it by man? And then it says, I love this right here. It says, they discussed it among themselves. Like, okay, come on, everyone just like circles up. And, I don't know, you know, maybe should we just jump him right now? I know, listen. So they're discussing it amongst themselves. Talk amongst yourselves. And uh, he says, they come back and they say, man, if we say it's from God, then we're just going to validate this guy's whole ministry. But if we say it's from men, the people are going to get upset. Why? Because Pilate killed John the Baptist. He's a martyr to them. He's, he represents everything that's wrong with the Roman government. They're killing our guy. Okay? So the people, and they, people just watch Jesus just go off. So they're expecting, man, there's going to be a riot. So they say, I, I'm not going to answer that. And then Jesus says, well, I won't answer your question then. I love that game too, actually. I, I play it with my kids all the time. And then he goes into these two parables. Now, please listen carefully. He goes into two parables. The one is the parable of two sons. And he asks them a question. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. It's a matter of having fruit or having no fruit. And he tells a story and he says, a guy's got two sons and a vineyard. He tells them both, Go work in my vineyard. Okay, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. Go be productive in my kingdom. The first son says, I'm not doing that. But then changes his mind and goes, you know what? I will. And he goes and he does it. The second son goes, yes, father, I will. And then doesn't do it. Okay, so the first one says, I'm not going to do it. But then ends up, ah, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Starts working in the vineyard to be productive in the vineyard. Second guy says, you, you, you can count on me, and then goes off to the, you know, to In-N-Out Burger or whatever. Okay? Now he says to them, the father went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Which one bore fruit? Which one? And they said, the first they answered, like, whew, this one's easy. We can do that. And here's what he says. I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came and you, 
uh, to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. See, they were the ones that said, I'm not gonna have anything to do with God, but then changed. And even after you saw this, you did not repent or believe in him. My question for us this morning is, are we ready for the authority of Jesus in our lives? The full-blown, yes, sir, whatever you ask, I will do, full-blown authority of Jesus in our lives. And I was going through my own life this week, just kind of like taking an inventory and thinking, and man, it's hard, isn't it? You got a couple little things that you just won't let go. Maybe, maybe you were injured. You were hurt by somebody. That, that, I, I have this in my past, okay? Somebody wounded me in my past. And I, I preach on this all the time. You've got to let that stuff go because if you don't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up killing you, the bitterness. And so I, I let it go and I let it go and I let it go, but it always, you know, you get a phone call or you hear somebody's name or they show up on Facebook or whatever and you're just like, and you're reading and going, man, I hope they're doing bad. Uh-oh, what was that from, right? It's like, man, the Lord's saying, let it go. Let that go. Can I, with the full authority of God, say, yes, sir, I will, and let it go? It's very difficult. But it's the only way. Pruning is the only way we're going to get fruit. Tearing up all those tables and all the profiteering and all that is the only way we're going to cleanse the temple. And so this morning, as, we, uh, as the worship band returns i want to read one last verse and it's in matthew chapter 21 in this verse in this chapter 21 verse 43 and here's what he says if i can get to it he says therefore i tell you that the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to a people who will what Produce its fruit. If you want more of the kingdom of God in your life, if you want more power, if you want all that, produce fruit. You see, now how do I do that? Well, we'll talk about that a little later. Okay, we're going to talk about that in September. We're starting a, a series on wisdom, making wise choices, kind of what fruit that produces in your life. As a matter of fact, uh, that's, we start, I think, September 13th. As you're talking to people in your circle of influence at work or whatever, and people are having a problem making decisions, Invite them to church for that. It's a six-week series. We're just going to go over how to make wise choices, essentially, and what the most important question to ask is. And so I'd really encourage you to do that. But he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. That is the point of a life with Christ. It's productive. And, and, and when you put the, I love putting the temple and the tree together. Because the temple is this idea of intimacy and relationship and, and the lame and things being healed. And then the tree is this out, our outward life in Christ. And so the more intimate we get in the temple of God, in the body of Christ, in, in, I mean, with, it, with our body, the more we, we love him and the more we obey and the more we spend time in his word and in prayer and use our body as a vessel, the more our tree on the outside bears fruit. And what is that fruit? It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. One of the worst, 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 worst um, witnesses is someone who comes and says, oh, I was at church, I did Bible study, I did that, and they have no patience, no self-control, no love, no peace. They're worried about everything. 
But the f- leaves are just beautiful, but no fruit.